what this kind of spirituality looks like is that there's an integrated sense of my public life as well as my private life. That together there's an alignment between my heart, my soul, my body, and in everything that we do. Now, today in this hyper-technological social media, LinkedIn, Instagram world, it's so easy to actually have a different public persona than my private life. And speaking as a vocational minister, I can talk about that temptation uh, for a long time as well. Because for me personally, it's so easy to project myself with a certain kind of image that's way different than who I am in private. And uh, if you knew anything about my family, you would know some of this kind of reality. So for instance, I grew up in a family, uh, immigrant family, and my father and my mother and my dad, who was very harsh towards my mom as well as to all of us. And so we grew up with this very broken family system. And my dad, at the age of 40, he he changes careers, and uh, today he's 75 years old. So for 35 years, he's been doing this new career. And uh, so in 35 years, he's written 40 books now. What have you done with your life? You know, no, I'm just kidding, sorry. <laughs> That's what he would say to me. You know, he'd guilt trip me and shame me about all this stuff. And so my father's this incredibly tireless worker. He's written these books, and he would make this switch at the age of 40 into vocational ministry. So here he was then now as a pastor. So he moved from this job as an air, in air conditioning refrigeration to now all of a sudden uh, in the, to this role as a vocational minister. And yet to us, he had this acrimonious, very bitter and broken relationships, being estranged from his sons as well as with, uh, in this very contentious relationship with my mom, his wife. Now, here's the thing. The topic of the books that my, my dad would write about incessantly, these 40 books that he would write for over 35 years, they were books written about how to raise a family. So you can imagine that there's, there's this idea of this disconnect between one's public persona. And my dad is this incredibly charismatic speaker and prolific author. And yet there was this disconnect between what we experienced as kids as well as my mom. Now, when I was in college, I remember during my freshman year, I was really struggling with kind of whether I wanted to follow Jesus or not. So I was investigating different religions. And finally, uh, kind of towards uh, the middle of my freshman year, I decided, you know what? I believe that this is as true as truth is, and I want to follow wholeheartedly into this Christian journey. And so here I was now on this journey of really growing, and I was reading scripture uh, day and night. I was praying. I was growing in leadership. We actually, during my college years, we helped start a church, um, and I was growing in prominence as a Christian leader. And towards the end of my college years, uh, I became someone who wanted to be, go into vocational ministry. So here I was now on this path into going into vocational ministry. Now, between my junior and my senior year, um, I was really wrestling and started to be anxious about a lot of things, including my future and everything else. And what, how am I going to make ends meet and pay off student loans and all that stuff? And remember in the midst of that, um, this was the year 2001 was my senior year. And in 2001, there was this thing, you may have heard of it, it's called the internet. Anyone heard of the internet? Um, and there was this thing called uh, email, which was this novel thing where we can get these electronic messages. And so I remember receiving these emails and uh, you know some of them were junk emails. I didn't know who they were from. And so click, 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 I start clicking on these emails and one thing leads to another and one screen leads to another. And all of a sudden, just these flashes of pornographic images just flood the screen. And I'm hooked. And so I did what any self-respecting college Christian leader would do. I told no one. I told no one. But I would just carry this silent shame 
And you know what the crazy thing was? Here I was, I was being elevated as this, like the paragon of someone who's in Christian maturity as an upperclassman who wants to go into vocational ministry. And yet very few people knew that I was harboring this secret shame over addictive behavior. You know, it's so easy to have our public world be mismatched against our inner life. And really, as we delve into this series, here's the thesis of what we've been talking about, is that emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. In other words, this is what it means. I could be someone who's incredibly eloquent and have read scripture from front to back and back to front and pray for hours on end. And yet, be someone who in private, whenever I get anxious, I run to my addiction of choice. I can be someone who is elevated as a leader or a prominent figure, and yet when it comes to how I treat my wife, like I get incredibly defensive. That leads me towards an anger that no one would ever suspect that I carry, and yet she would suffer silently along with my children. Isn't it interesting how that can happen? How we can somehow have this paragon or this image of what spiritual maturity might look like, and yet, if I haven't let God into those areas, into the areas of my emotional life, (laughs) how ultimately, and this is what the thesis is all about, I'm really not all that mature. Now, we've been using this image as the image of an iceberg. And of course, in an iceberg, 10% of an iceberg is above the surface, and there's this 90% below the surface. And oftentimes what we do in religious settings is we, we do whatever we can to help manicure that 10%. And we're used to this because, again, of the social media world that we live in. And yet there's this 90% that's suffering, that runs to our addiction of choice. That when I've had a bad day at work, the first thing I want to do is go to happy hour and to soothe some of that anxiety and fear in me. And I end up drinking more than I wanted to That what ends up happening whenever I start to feel fearful, I get angry and I start lashing out in different ways, or I end up binge watching Cobra Kai late into the night. You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, isn't that true? Like that we're so good at manicuring this 10% above the surface, and yet there's this 90% below the surface. And you know, here's the thing about God, and here's what the psalmist writes in Psalm 139. Look at what the psalmist writes. Psalmist writes, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. I mean, here's this moment where the psalmist basically comes correct before God and basically says, God, you know the iceberg that lies beneath. You know what everyone else doesn't know. You know all the parts that I try to keep hidden from other people. You know it all. And really when we talk about this idea of alignment, of integrating our public life and our personal life, what does it look like for each one of us then to become more aware of that 90%? One of the things that Sarah mentioned last week is God cannot heal what what hasn't been revealed. 
she said it more eloquently than that, but, <laughs> but it's this whole idea that when we come to self-discovery or revelation or confession over what we want to confess before God, it's when we allow God into those areas of our iceberg, that 90% below, that it's then that God has the tools to be able to work the way he wants to work. And of course, he can do anything, but really there's this process of us becoming more emotionally healthy by, by joining in the, the, the process of self-discovery and self-disclosure that's needed. Uh, and that's what really Psalm 51 is all about. Now, there's this uh, diagram, uh, and it was actually in 1955, it was uh, produced by Joseph Luft as well as Harry Ingham, and it's called the Johari Window. And this Johari Window is actually a diagram that shows us the ways in which we can be people who both disclose as well as ask for feedback. Now notice, here on the x-axis, if you can see, the x-axis, you see this horizontal axis is known to self as well as unknown to self. In other words, that's what I know about myself as well as what's unknown to myself. And notice the y-axis is what's known to others as well as what's unknown to others. Now, notice the different quadrants, though. If you look in quadrant one, which is the top right-hand corner, there's what's called a blind spot. And in the blind spot, of course, it's Unknown to me, but it's known to others, right? So my wife, she can say to me something like, hey, I notice that you get defensive when, uh, when I mention something about the kids. And I'm like, I don't get defensive? Gosh, what, you think you're the best parent? <laughs> right? Like there's a part of me that all of a sudden I've reacted and I've said something and it actually discloses something. But I have no idea just how defensive I am in this area of my life. Now here's the reality. Because we're all human beings and we're not, no one here is omniscient except my daughter. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, if you know Avery, you know that she's incredibly omniscient. But we're all human beings. We all have blind spots. We all have these areas of our lives that we just don't know about. And so every single one of us has these blind spots, which is known to others but unknown to myself. And all the spouses in the room said, amen. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, now, in quadrant two, of course, this is the open area. This is where there is an integration of what's known to myself as what's known to others. This known area, this is the open part. Now, quadrant three, you can see this is the hidden area where it's known to myself but unknown to others. It's those secret things, those addictive behaviors, those whatever I might be hiding from others. Why? Because of shame, because of fear. Because uh, if this person knew this, then they wouldn't like me. If my boss only knew this about me, now I'm not saying you disclose everything to your boss. <laughs> I'm just saying, right, like there's these hidden parts of who we are that we carry with us. And then, of course, there's this there's this unknown area that's unknown to self as well as unknown to others as we continue to walk through life. There's these unknown areas of life. Now, here's what emotionally healthy spirituality looks like, especially as it relates to knowing myself that I might know God, that I might grow in self-awareness. Uh, now, here's the thing. I once read research, and I've mentioned this several times before, that this one research showed that 90% of people think they're in the top 1% of self-awareness. Just think about that. Think about the math there, okay? 90% think they're in the top 1%. I mean, only few of us are in that 1%, okay, guys? Not you guys, but I'm just kidding. But, right, I mean, that's, but isn't that how we roll? Now, here's the thing about this window, though, right? Because, like, this process, notice what it's asking us to do. It's, it's, it's looking for us to become more integrated in our public life and our private life. And how do we do that? 
Now, if you notice, to move that box even wider, that open box even wider, what we are supposed to do is on the x-axis, you can see we're supposed to ask for feedback, to ask this question, hey, what's it, what's it really like to be around me? What's it really like? What, what's it really like to be married to me, Tina? What, what are some of the, the areas that I can grow as a human being? Friend, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, those are really significant questions and ones often that I'm not sure that I really want to engage in. But this process of asking for feedback, it, it takes a certain amount of humility. Or, or look, on the y-axis, there's this process of disclosure. The process of confiding with appropriate others and being willing to say to you, like, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I need help with. I'm, I'm really struggling in this area of my life when it comes to loneliness. And when I start feeling lonely, I end up running to the internet, or I end up running to eating or shopping or Netflix or whatever it might be. Now, here's the thing, that process, right, of either asking for feedback or growing in disclosure, what it requires, it requires a certain amount of centeredness, doesn't it? Because here's the reality, right? Like, I might be someone who, because of shame or fear or insecurity, I might go into a conversation and be like, hey, um, can you tell me what it's like for me, you know, as a friend, what, what I'm like? And, you know, you might say, well, I could honestly, you don't return texts or emails or get back to me. And I'm like, well, if you, if you wrote something meaningful, I would. Instead, you, you just keep writing this other stuff, right? Like, I could re respond in such a way that's full of insecurity and defensiveness, it's really hard to ask for feedback. In fact, it takes a certain amount of humility, but also a, 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 like a sense of centeredness, doesn't it? And the same kind of centeredness and rootedness is required if I were to ever confess anything. Because I need to know, right, like if I confess something to someone, if I say to you like, hey, this is something that I'm really struggling with, and you had a response that somehow you made one little smirk or one little kind of uh, motion with your hand or whatever, then all of a sudden if I confess them, hey, this is something that I'm really struggling with, and they're like, oh, I don't know if you, yeah, gosh, I wish that wasn't the case. And, and then all of a sudden I'm like, well, you think you're perfect, Mr. Perfect, Mr. New York, perfect person? Like, right, like there's a way that I respond that shows just how insecure I can be. And so here's the question for you and for me. What, what could possibly give us the kind of rootedness and centeredness that we could be someone who's humble enough yet secure enough to be able to ask this question like, hey, what's it like to be married to me? What's it like to be around me? What could ever give me the sense of centeredness and humility to be able to disclose and say, this is what I'm struggling with? And no matter the reaction of the person on the other side, it did not sway me. Now, does that centeredness come from a self-actualized, like, hey, I, I believe that I'm this really good, great person? No, it can't come from myself. Does it come from someone else and what someone else thinks about me? No. Now, here's the good news of the Christian message. See, this is what the Christian message has always been about. It's about finding a centeredness, a rootedness, not in what other people think, not even in what I think about myself, but really and about who God is and what God thinks of me. See, the Christian message has always been rooted in this reality. 
Here's how Tim Keller puts it. The gospel tells us that we're actually more sinful than we dared to believe. I mean, isn't it true? We look at the Johari window and we're like, whoa, I'm actually way worse. There's a lot that I'm hiding there. Or there's probably a lot that people know about me that I don't even know about myself. And see, the gospel actually tells us, guess what? You're worse. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't do, don't do that. Actually, I just, yeah. No, yeah, but, but it gives us the freedom to actually say, you're actually worse. You're actually more sinful than you dare to believe. And yet, at the very same time, you're more loved than you dare to hope. See, because here's what the Christian gospel says. It says that your worth is not based on how well manicured your social media profiles are, on how much you've achieved, on how much money you have in the bank, on what other people think of you. No, it's based on the good news of the gospel, which tells you that no matter how bad or how deep of a pit you might feel you are in, there is a God whose grace and whose love is deeper still. And because your own sense of worth and security is not found in what your boss thinks of you, what kind of career you have, because of that, there's a sense of security and peace that can allow you then to be able to to ask with a centeredness as well as with a humility, hey, what's it like to be around me? What are some areas that I can grow? Why? Because my worth is not based on what that other person says. It's based on Jesus alone. And because of that, there's a freedom, there's a humility, there's a lightness by which I can actually enter the journey of going deeper into my iceberg. I can actually confess. I have nothing to hide. I can actually be broken and I can be sincere and humble about the ways in which I struggle because my rootedness and my sense of self is not found in what people think of me, but instead it's found in Jesus alone. And so as we go on this journey, emotional healthy spirituality over these next few weeks, and I realize this is somewhat of a heavy topic, here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to see this as a faith journey of believing and entrusting all of who you are. That entire Johari window, that iceberg of entrusting all of that to say, God, take, take all of me. Not just the 5% or the 10% that I want you to know or see or move, but I want you to take every part of me. I want you to take the parts of me that continue to follow my lusts more than you. I want you to take the part of me, get super anxious about my career or my love life, ends up causing me to make decisions that I regret. I want you to take the part of me that that cares so deeply about what others think of me and how they perceive me. I want you to take it all. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna actually do a little bit of an exercise right here as we close our service. Now, this exercise is actually called Exploring the Iceberg. It's a way for us to become familiar of what's happening in our own souls. 
And so I'm gonna ask a few questions. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna ask you to take out your phone and uh, you're gonna send an email to Sarah at Hope Church. No, I'm just kidding, you're not gonna. I want you to just take, take out your, your phone and the notes app or whatever. And I'm just gonna ask you these questions and you're gonna, you're gonna answer these questions. And my prayer for you in this time, in this holy moment, I'm gonna ask you four questions. Each question, you're just gonna spend a moment of silence just to, to answer these four questions. And you're gonna answer these questions and we're gonna invite you to share uh, just on your own. You're not gonna have to share it with anyone else. Just write down what are some of the things that are happening in your own heart. So here's the first question. What are you mad about? What are you mad about? Second question, what are you sad about? What are you sad about? Third question, what are you anxious or afraid about? What are you anxious or afraid about? Final question, what are you glad about? What are you glad about? 
you know, I think in a city like this, it's just very easy to be people who, again, remain hidden and um, kind of like that iceberg, right? And, you know, our earliest hopes for this church when we first started was that we would be a community full of humans who weren't the put-together church because we're certainly not very put-together. But to be a place where people could come and truly find that we're a collective community of people who are more sinful than we dared to believe and yet more loved than we dared to hope. I invite you to stand with me. why we have these groups and courses and teams and prayer lines is so that you wouldn't have to journey alone. So you could be someone who part of what it means to grow as a follower of Jesus is to simply not change cosmetic behaviors, but to actually allow God into the stuff, into the worries, into the fears, into the anxieties, into the anger the sadness into it all and to find in him a loving father who receives all that we come to the table with and who loves us still and who beckons us to come and meet with him. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to end with this final song and if you need prayer or if you just need to reflect um, or if you realize for yourself, I, I do, I need a community to journey with, to ask for feedback or to ask for or to disclose or to confess, whatever it might be.